Welcome to the fourth season of The Coaching Cast, your working from home club, regardless of where you're working right now, at home, in the office, or a blend of both, or whatever you do as a career, we've got something for you at The Coaching Cast. I'm Susie, sales and business coach at Future You Business Coaching, currently taking on my hardest coaching assignment to date, parenting a two-year-old who doesn't take too kindly to being questioned. And I'm Lisa, founder of Grip Corporate Coaching, personal performance coach, leader, and chief eye roller when it comes to all nonsensical corporate mumbo jumbo, which suffocates rather than advocate. In this podcast, we explore all things work-related, matters impacting you at work right now presenting different topics each episode, which we will discuss with some special guests along the way, sharing ideas, hints, and tips for you to take away and try for yourself. We hope you enjoy listening. Today, we're talking menopause at work with our special guest, Bev Thorogood, coach, author, and trainer whose mission in her work is to support working women and organisations in breaking down the stigma of menopause while supporting those who are experiencing it so that they can continue to be a valued member of the workforce. So stay with us and enjoy. So before we get into our chat with Bev today, Lisa, how are you? Good. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. The sun continues to shine here in Cape Town. Um, it's very, very hot. I'm not oh, it's warm. It's oh, warm. I'm jealous. Yeah. So I won't bang on about it too much because <laughs> I don't want to upset my listeners in the UK who are still suffering the UK winter. But yeah, it's very warm. And for someone okay. who is as fair as I am, it's a constant dodge into the shadows to try and protect myself from the intense UV rays so it will always look as though I've never been anywhere I always look still extremely white I literally glow on the beach my husband says he always knows where I am on the beach because there's this like bright glowing white light he's charming um so yeah but no everything's everything's really good here we had our friends here who left sadly Friday night sent to the airport so yeah so I felt a little bit Felt a bit lost without them since they've been I know. Um, but yeah, we've had a we had a great weekend. We're making new friends with some Cape Tonians who I tell you what, we went to this incredible place on Sunday evening, got a bit carried away having a bit of a cheeky Sunday sesh. And it was fab. Just met loads of really great people, real mixture of people from all over. You know, there was ourselves English, there were Americans, there were people from Zambia, from other parts of the Cape, from Finland, from Zurich. You know, it was so cool. Wow. So yeah, I highly recommend Cape Town and South Africa in general, general to anyone. It is a real melting pot of cultures and nationalities, really cosmopolitan in Cape Town. And it's an incredible place. So yeah, don't believe all the uh, negative or incorrect media is what I would say. Come out and see me. If anyone wants to come over, drop me a line. I would. Yeah, I would. Come and see me. Like so, to come yeah. see you. So, no. Should we do a podcast episode out there? Because, oh, yes. Yeah, so like it's, yeah, a business trip. That would be Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So, no, it's very good here. Thank you very much. Very good. How's your week been? You oh, well, you know, cold just, anymore. You've just a standard week in Susie's life. Um, yeah, I've thankfully not got a cold anymore. So I am feeling a lot better. Thank you very much. However, the dog, Marley, who often features in the background in this podcast, um, he's been unwell. So he's got pancreatitis, which is an infection of the pancreas. Pancreas situations all over, because obviously I don't have a working pancreas because I'm diabetic. So, um, yeah, obviously quite a thing in our house. Um, (laughs) But he's fine. He's okay. He's just on some medication and wasn't very well, but he's okay now. Um, I then locked myself out of my house um which with Arthur my two-year-old um which was annoying coming back from the shop I wasn't actually out the house that long but it was just more annoying because I had a toddler with me and they're not very the most patient of creatures 
Um, and also in the same day, locked myself out of my email account, which I don't even know how I did that, to be honest. I, couldn't, I have no idea. I'm back in it now, thankfully. But it was one of those situations, you know, when they're like, we'll send you a code. And I was like, brilliant, fine. I've got my mobile phone, send me a code. And then it never arrived. Do you know what I mean? But the number was right. So I was getting so weird. infuriated. And also it was on a day where I was doing my other job of parenting and so you just like, I just don't need this. Like, this is the thing I just don't need. So yeah. that was slightly um, annoying. But on the positive tip, I've been doing dry jam. Um, and I didn't know you were doing dry jam. Yeah, been doing dry jam. How have we not had this conversation? I don't know, actually. It's a really fair point. <laughs> I like, you... I've got no idea. Oh, what? And you did it successfully? Yeah. I, well, I, I always said I wasn't going to go to the 31st of Jan because I had a girls trip away with my uni girls the weekend, the last weekend in Jan. So I just went up to that Saturday. So technically like two days before. But anyway, I always said from the Still outset. Still a huge be, achievement. I yeah. could never do dry January. Like, yeah, I needed possible. it. I needed it. Like I drank a lot in December over Christmas and New Year. Um, and I felt better for it, I have to say. So that was good. And so, but then it was nice because I was like, yes, it's over. So I can have a glass of wine to get over my stress of locking myself out and locking myself out my email as well. So that did actually help a little bit. Um, and then I suppose final thing we should talk about is today is our what is it birthday it's our anniversary i think you can call it a birthday it's our one year birthday it's our one year birthday cbb's today yeah we are one we are officially one years old so one year ago today we released our first ever episode of the coaching cast i can't even remember what it was on can you it was all around working remotely yes it was it was the pilot episode although it didn't we released oh, three episodes at we once. Did. Didn't we did. We so released three in one go. The pilot was working remotely. Don't listen to it. It's terrible. Uh, the second <laughs> one was um, building relationships remotely, or that could have been the third one. And then there was motivating yourself and others, which was with the fab Mike Mayer, who's one of my friends, who's the breathwork coach, who's got the Take a Deep Breath podcast. So they were the they were the three episodes we released all at once uh, at the beginning of February. Yeah, year yeah, ago, first of which Feb. is mad because in some ways that some ways that feels like it was ages ago. In other ways, it feels like it was yesterday. It's really weird. It's so weird. I know. I know. It. But yeah, we are one. We, we are, are one. one. We made it to one yeah. year old. And for um, anyone who's still listening, thanks so much for being yeah. here. We really appreciate it. We honestly really appreciate it. <laughs> we, we really appreciate really, really it. And if you love what you hear, remember, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really is the difference from us being a really great, successful, prominent podcast and just one of the thousands that are out in the ether. So yeah. please, please, this is something we love doing. We hope you enjoy listening to it and that it's useful. We would love to do more of this. So please leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts and share it with everyone you know and love and tell them to do the same. Yes, please. That will help us get to our second podcast birthday. Yes. Hopefully. Yeah. In the 1st of Feb, 2023. Exactly. Fingers crossed. But talking of um, episodes, we have a brilliant guest with us today. Bev, so should we get chatting to her? Let's do it. Today, we are super excited to be chatting to menopause at work expert, Bev Thurgood. Bev is a coach and trainer with over 15 years in learning and development and a background in health and well-being. She is the founder of Floresco Training and author of The Business of Menopause, a guide for working women. Bev's story starts in April 2018 when she decided to set up her own business following her 32-year career with the Ministry of Defence. She was struggling with anxiety, high stress, memory issues and poor concentration, all of which, although unknown to her at the time, were directly related to the onset of perimenopause. Making the decision to leave her RAF career in spring 2018, she set up Floresco Training with the aim of raising awareness of the impact of menopause on working women through awareness training for businesses and one-to-one and group coaching for working women. 
She has gone on to help hundreds of organizations and thousands of employees across all sectors to understand the impact of menopause on working women, as well as helping businesses to understand the impact on recruitment, retention, absenteeism, morale, and performance. Bev, welcome to The Coaching Cast. We are super excited to talk to you today. So thank you so much for coming to join us. Thank you, Susie. It's my pleasure. Well, let's let's get into it because I know this is a really, really important and hot topic at the moment and is getting a lot of conversation and discussion, uh, both in the world of business, but also in mainstream media as well at the moment. Um, And I was actually watching a episode of, um, I'm a big Sex and the City fan, and they've got a brand new um, sequel out. And uh, managing and dealing with the menopause is actually a big storyline in Sex and the City at the moment, um, with the characters, yeah, experiencing it and going through it. And it's obviously something which is a huge part of a woman's life and um, can be in some instances, you know, pretty um, impactful in terms of their career as well. So can you just tell us and our listeners just a little bit more about some of the most common symptoms of when you're experiencing menopause? Okay, so there's somewhere around 35 or more symptoms. So it's really hard to say which are the most common because actually a lot of the symptoms people are experiencing then may not realize are uh, menopause related. I think there's the ones that we're very uh, familiar with, things like hot flushes, tearfulness, getting a bit snappy and a bit ratty with people. Um, But some of the the ones that I think that we don't necessarily pick up on as as quickly are, are some of the psychological ones, Susie. So things like anxiety, low mood, depression uh, brain fog is a big problem for a lot of women if we've uh, I think you were saying you've got a, a little one you may be familiar with the baby blues or the baby yeah. brain yeah um, very similar symptoms in perimenopause so things like forgetfulness sort of cloudy muddy thinking not being able to concentrate too clearly uh, poor word recall you know when you when you want the word and you just can't can't yeah. get it yeah uh, <laughs> you know it's how much of it is also age related it's hard to know but certainly I would say that the vast majority of women that I speak to even if they don't get hot flushes those sort of common ones talk about their their inability to remember words but then we've got some really quite obscure ones that you would never um, sort of relate to menopause I know I certainly didn't things like heart palpitations urinary tract infections uh, tinnitus metallic taste in the mouth restless legs gosh I could go on there's so many of them so it's very very hard to say which are the common ones because they're possibly more common than we think but we're not relating them to perimenopause if that makes sense got yeah got yeah and I know we touched on the bio there that in in the kind of introduction that um, you went through a lot of those different symptoms that you touched upon there. So just give our listeners a bit of an overview of, of your kind of story and experience of going through men- the menopause. Yeah. So as you say, I worked for the Ministry of Defence for a long time and, and 30 years of that was working for the Air Force. I wasn't in uniform. Uh, I was a civilian, so I wasn't in the Air Force, but I worked for the Air Force. Um, and I actually had moved I'd moved roles about a month before my 50th birthday, still within the same organisation, just into a new role. And on my 50th birthday, I got my first hot flush. (laughs) That was a treat. Um, And for me, that was the the signal that menopause was starting or perimenopause. I have to say I hadn't even heard the term perimenopause when I turned 50. Uh, But that was kind of the trigger. Okay, I've had a hot flush. This must be my time now. I'm 50. But it wasn't really until I started to learn a little bit more about what was happening that I started to look back over probably the last eight years before that, I realised that my periods had become really erratic and very, very heavy. I'd started to feel anxious about things I hadn't ever felt anxious about in the past. Um, 
physical changes you know I was starting to feel achy and and joint aches and I'd always been reasonably fit and healthy um and things that I'd taken for granted suddenly became quite sort of difficult to do um in terms of you know just joint aches and everything sort of stiffening up and it's really hard to know is it just because you get older or is it menopause related yeah so I actually sort of started to realize that all of this had probably been going on for quite some time and over the next two years, so from that sort of first hot flush on my 50th birthday, I, as I said, I'd moved into a new job that definitely wasn't in my zone of genius. I'd gone from training delivery and being an educational advisor, very much customer, fo- uh, sort of customer facing into a training assurance job, which was all about policy and compliance and all of the kind of the the back end stuff, um, which is very important, but not really my bag. So I was, I kind of was starting to feel like I was failing in my job because I just couldn't pick it up. They'd made me the IT manager and my IT skills were, you know, <laughs> next to none. Uh, so I had all of this kind of stress about trying to perform in, in this new role. And the anxiety was getting worse and the brain fog was getting worse. And I, I remember having on one um, one um, episode, I remember of losing, just completely losing memory of something. Um, I write about this in the book, actually. I'd, I'd been asked to, to purchase some racking. I worked in a, on an aircraft repair training school, um, and they needed some racking for the guys in the workshops. It was about 5,000-ish pounds worth of kit, and I'd gone across to the purchasing department, spoken to the clerk over there, given her the purchase order, Came back to my office, met my boss, who was absolutely lovely, 27-year-old man, absolutely gorgeous man. Met him in the corridor, told him I'd just been to put the order in. And he just looked at me blank, Susie, and he was like, the racking is already in the workshop. It's already erected. It's connected to the wall. They're using it. The kit's in there. Right. But, you know, you just have this kind of blank moment when you're both on totally different conversations. And I felt very embarrassed, couldn't figure it out, walked through to the workshop to check for myself. And there it was attached to the wall, safety checked, all of the, the, the stuff had been done. Went back to my desk and sat sort of staring at the computer thinking, I don't know what's going on here. Um, for some reason, I don't know why, I thought, let's just have a look back through my Google history. Um, and there I, it was in my Google history. I'd ordered the racking online about three weeks earlier. It had been delivered. I paid for it with my corporate credit card. So I didn't even need to have gone to okay. purchasing office. Yeah. And to this day, I don't remember um, ordering it. But I had I checked all my paperwork. It was all in order. And I think that was that was probably the, the lowest point for me in thinking, am I getting on early onset dementia? Am I totally incompetent have I suddenly realized that after 32 years of feeling reasonably competent now I've got no you know no competence left it's all gone yeah um and it was it was quite devastating thankfully that was the worst as of the memory issues but it knocked my confidence hugely I mean my boss was brilliant you know he was um really supportive he just laughed to be honest like we all make mistakes don't worry about it but it felt more than a mistake it felt like how could, it, it wasn't a mistake I'd completely blanked it out of my memory and that was yeah. really scary yeah um anyway I'm sort of talking very long-windedly about this but after two years it was a real struggle my confidence was through the floor I was trying to compensate massively by going on a ridiculously rigid diet, losing loads of weight, getting incredibly fit, putting all of my energy into sort of my health and fitness. And it was almost like it was a compensation for what was going on in in other areas. Um, And after two years, I just thought, I can't keep doing this. I was so stressed. I thought, if I don't take a break, I'm going to end up going on long-term sick with stress. And I, I didn't really want to go down that route. Mm. I spoke to my boss, asked if uh, there was any chance I could take a 12-month sabbatical effectively, sort of a 12-month period of of unpaid leave, which he supported. um, But the MOD turned it down because they had a a moratorium on recruitment and it would have meant bringing somebody else in temporarily and they didn't have the budget. And that's when I made the decision to, to sort of walk away from my career 
um, in 2018. And now I know that, you know, with the studies that have been done and the work I've been doing, I know that I'm a, one of about 900,000 women yeah. every year that walk away from their career unnecessarily, I think. It, it, it wasn't really so much that my boss was unsupportive or anything like that. He wasn't trained. He didn't understand what I was going through, but neither did I. Mm-hmm. We had no education. You know, I think often we think men don't know much about menopause, but we women don't get taught anything about this either. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was quite, I think it was quite a challenging two years. Sounds it. Mm-hmm. Sounds it. You know, and I think, um, so, you know, Lisa and I, haven't yet experienced menopause, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to um, work with you on this episode, Bev, because we wanted to kind of talk to somebody who was, um, it, who had experienced it and has a real uh, passion and you know belief in terms of the work that they do around it. But when I was researching for this episode today, I came across this stat, which you've just touched upon there, because it honestly astounded me because mm. This isn't my day-to-day world, so I didn't know a huge amount about it. But that stat is that women make up nearly half of the UK workforce, but around 900,000 women have quit their jobs because of menopause. And I read that yesterday in my preparation. And honestly, I, it, it really like floored me for a second. I kind of sat back in my chair and I was like, wow, that is a hell of a statistic right there. Scary, is it? No idea of the impact um as you mentioned and your story is obviously one of many well you know obviously since I've been um doing the work that I do over the last four years I've spoken to so many women whose story is far worse than mine you know I thought I thought my symptoms were bad looking back I realized that mine actually weren't as bad as many other women are are dealing with and I, I think there's there's a couple of things going on really first of all the the medical world hasn't really caught up with women's reproductive health, bizarrely, considering we make up, as you say, you know, 51% of the population, I think. So we don't get a huge amount of support or help through the medical, um, through the medical world. Unfortunately, there are, I have to say there are some brilliant GPs out there, but on the whole, GPs themselves will admit they don't get enough training about menopause. They don't understand it well enough to be able to, in a 10-minute appointment, connect all those dots. So we're not necessarily getting the support and the education and the information that we need from our GP. We don't get taught about this throughout life. Thankfully, that has changed. So now menopause is a topic on um, the the national curriculum in schools. So so school uh, kids now coming through will get taught about menopause as part of their uh, wider sort of um, okay. sex education. But for the majority majority of us, we don't know anything about this. So mm-hmm. we're coming at it blind. I lost my mum when I was 22, so I didn't have her to talk to about this. But even the, the women that I talk to who do still have their mum, that generation don't seem to want to talk about it. Mm. And I've talked to my mum-in-law, who's 90, and when you talk to her, she's oh, well, I didn't really have anything. I had a few hot flushes and that was it. But then as I've kind of scraped back some of the layers, she talks about the fact that she was really anxious around that time. She was she was actually on HRT, so a lot of her symptoms would have been mitigated. But she's, you know, she, she talks about insomnia and fatigue. And I'm like, but they're all menopause-related symptoms. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So we're not, we're not learning from, from our elders either a lot of the time. Mm. And, of course, the workplace, as you've just said, you know, 51, uh, was it 50, 51% of the working um, public? I can't remember the exact step that you said. Yeah, yeah. women make up more half. Work- of the UK workforce, but around 900,000 have quit their jobs because of menopause. Yeah. So, of course, go back generationally and many of our sort of um, mums and grandmas weren't working or weren't working to the same extent that we are. So we didn't have the same. We've got different stresses in our Mm. life and we do know that stress hugely exacerbates those menopause symptoms. So there's there's a whole load of things going on. um, And because we're not aware which is really the crux of why I do what I do more than anything is to raise awareness because I think forewarned is forearmed isn't it Mm. I love the fact that you two ladies are you know you haven't reached it yet but you want to know about it because Mm -hmm. when you do get there 
there's something really empowering about knowledge that you know what you're dealing with. Therefore, yeah. it's not a big surprise or mystery. Yeah. And it's not a shock. Yeah. And I think you're, you're, you've nailed it there around the awareness and the knowledge, because I think knowledge is power always. And the more you have, the more that you're empowered with choices. And I think <clears throat> I can totally relate to that generational story that you tell there about with your mother-in-law. Uh, for me, the menopause that I can never remember ever being spoken about was always spoken about quite in a sense of being brushed off, pushed aside, it's the stereotype of the, the women with the hot flushes, as though it's quite, um, you know, quite sort of minimal, like not a big deal, like women. But I do also think that's the attitude as well of women of like, we just crack on with things and we, you know, we, we, we have to deal with an awful lot, especially when it comes to our emotional status over our lifetime, what with, you know, coming, you know, going through um, puberty and periods and babies, if you're going to have them. And then, you know, now we get the menopause as well. It feels <laughs> like we go through this quite hefty cycle and we're used to our bodies consistently on a course of change and a change that's quite like substantial. And I just feel like definitely within my family, the menopause was just something that, yeah, yeah, we, it happens, we get on with it, you know, we just cracked yeah. on and we, you know, as you said, there's a stoicism that kind of, which is quite admirable, but at the same time is dismissive of actually what we are going through and the fact that we don't have to go through it to that extent. And there is help and support, but to your point, Bev, you wouldn't know there was help and support if no one else is talking about that or offering it. And I know even with HRT, that's not, a given like I was watching um some clips from the recently aired this morning where they had a lady a doctor uh, talking about the menopause with Lisa Snowden who's I think she went through quite very early onset menopause in her 40s um and you know and very very horrendously so it was very aggressive for her you know and even then it was being spoken about that HRT is not actually always um the first solution that GPs put forward. And, and often that's because that could be, they don't even diagnose it correctly in the first place. Um, but also that potentially it's this whole widespread issue. I think we do have in the UK about what's available where you are and how quickly it is available where you are. <laughs> yeah. There's a number of things. You're absolutely right. I think the doctor you're referring to is Louise Newsom. Yes. Um, who runs yeah. the, the Newsom Clinic in Stratford-Penhaven. And she's made incredible strides in really bringing, bringing menopause to the, the forefront of sort of the, the, um, to the, into the consciousness, I guess, of GPs. And, mm. and, you know, don't, this is not just something we can dismiss as, uh, as women's issues. There's, there, there, it's a hormone imbalance. You know, and we all have hormones, men, women, all yeah. genders, we have hormones. Um, it, it's interesting, actually. I think going back to your point, Lisa, about we just stoically get on with it. I think there's there's a balance to be had. I think, you know, I, I've had my own horrific, horrible, horrible experience of it. But actually, there's also a, a, a flip side to that of, you know, this isn't, this isn't an unnatural event. It's a natural part of every woman's life cycle. Therefore, where do we, how do we find the balance between recognizing that it, it, it's difficult, it's turbulent, but it's normal and natural, and it's not something to fear. Mm. And there's this, this sort of messaging a lot of the time around, oh, menopause is miserable. It's terrifying. It's going to be horrible. You're going to, you know, all of these horrible things are going to happen to you. Um, well, actually, they're not happening to you. You're going through a transition. And I do believe that forewarned is forearmed. Mm. And you're absolutely right. There, is, there are ways to manage those symptoms. It's more difficult for some people that maybe have gynecological issues and other things going on. But for the vast majority of us, it is a natural, normal part of our life cycle. And embracing it rather than fighting it actually can really help to create a more positive experience of it. Mm. At the same time, I don't want to underplay or, you know, undermine the many symptoms that are very real, but it is that balance between, I don't want to give the message that actually women going through menopause are a lost cause and they're all going to, you know, fall to pieces because that's just so far from the truth. It, you know, there's a, there's a real balance. I don't, 
do you get what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that comes back to your point around actually the anxiety around these sorts of issues can exacerbate them. And, and I know you made the point that actually anxiety can really um, deepen and heighten your, your symptoms within the menopause and make it so much worse. And actually the more you, as you said, the more you have that forewarning and the more that you understand what's happening and how you can manage it, the more you can therefore manage your anxiety. Cause I do think anxiety often comes from um, a lack of, you know, feeling out of control, feeling frightened, the unknown. Well, actually the more you're informed, the more you can help manage that. It won't necessarily go away completely because we're human beings and we, I think we love a bit of anxiety, but um, at least you can help manage it for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, so I, I, when I'm coaching, I tend to use a sort of a, a framework of ABC and A, the A is about the acceptance piece. You know, if you're familiar with a change curve that we, we are going through, I know a lot of people find that the term going through the change quite archaic, but we are going through a physical and mm. biological and an emotional change. Um, so we are going to go through those stages of that change curve. So I think the sooner we get to acceptance that actually, you know, we can't fight this. This is a natural biological transition. Accepting it means that we start to do exactly what you've just said there. We take control and we have choice. So the ABC starts with acceptance or getting to the point of acceptance. And in order to do that, we almost have to look at the B, which is our beliefs. What do we believe about getting older? What do we believe about menopause? What do we believe about the role of women in society as they sort of as their reproductive years come to an end is our belief system that actually this is the end of my useful life or is it more around okay so that's that chapter finished now let's look at the next chapter and and that's a much more empowering way to look at it and then the c is about control and choice because as you say once you know what you're dealing with and you've challenged any sort of negative beliefs you might have all of a sudden you feel very much more in control um, and therefore you can make more informed choices that work for you as opposed to being imposed on you. Hmm. Just touching on that um, piece there about awareness, we've talked, we've, we've kind of um, mentioned it briefly in our conversation so far about the term perimenopause. And I know, um, Bev, I was looking at your LinkedIn recently and you shared that you'd you felt that you'd gone through this kind of stage, this particular stage of menopause for about kind of roughly 12 years now. But until I started looking at this area for today's interview, I didn't know a huge amount about what it was, like how it works. So could you just talk to us a little bit about perimenopause and what it is? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So perimenopause literally just means around the time of menopause. So menopause is in fact just one day. Yeah, oh, that's a look of shock, Lisa. Yeah, Yeah, I did not know that. So menopause is one day. It's a diagnostic line in the sand. Um, It's the day, 12 consecutive period, three months from the date of your last period. That's how a doctor would define whether you'd reached menopause or not. Um, But actually, it's it's a bit of an arbitrary one because actually a lot of women don't know that they've been 12 months period free. But perimenopause is the time leading up to that sort of that, that point at which we're no longer having periods. We're no longer releasing an egg each month. It literally means around the time of menopause, it's the time when we start to show symptoms. If we're going to, it's really the time when the ovaries begin their journey towards no longer uh, releasing an egg each month. So it can become a little bit erratic. Sometimes we might miss a few months when we're not ovulating. uh, So our periods can become a bit erratic. It's also the time when the three key sex hormones, although there are lots at play, but the three key players, testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone are starting to decline as they lower in preparation for menopause. And it's during this sort of decline, if you like, or the the perimenopausal phase that our hormones start to fluctuate, particularly testosterone and estrogen. Um, And it's those fluctuations that cause many of the symptoms. So we have testosterone, uh, testosterone and estrogen receptors on pretty much every cell in the body, the brain, the heart, the skin, the, the genitourinary area. We've got these, these receptors everywhere in the bones as well. And as they fluctuate, um, certain receptors become a bit more deficient in those hormones. They can 
obviously produce symptoms like the broad range that we've spoken about already. Um, and that perimenopause sort of period, I guess, um, there's no defined term that it's going to, you know, start or last for. Generally, anywhere between sort of two, right up to sort of 12 years before that, that day of menopause is reached. And for some women, they remain symptomatic for a few years post-menopause, which is why that, that perimenopausal period can actually be quite significant in, in ter, you know, so duration. Um, I, I don't know the figures in actual fact on how what the average length of perimenopause is. I probably do, but I can't recall it at the moment. But I would say it's not unusual to have sort of a 12, 15, even maybe up to as much as 20-year perimenopause. Wow. But, of course, they're not necessarily severely yeah. symptomatic for that, that period of time. I always think it's a little bit like um, – it's a little bit like pregnancy isn't it you're pregnant for nine months but actually it's normally only that bit when you go into labor that's quite severe um, I think for many women their, their perimenopausal symptoms start gradually quite insidiously sometimes and then they sort of build to a peak but they do tend to come and go over time as well one thing I have learned about menopause and perimenopause, there are no definitive answers. Yeah. There's no, there's no way you can say this is what will happen because there'll always be exceptions to the rule. Yeah, no, definitely. I can see that because it's, it is so personal, isn't it? And, you know, a lot of your mum's um, experience, your grandma's experience links quite heavily to how then your experience is likely to be as well so thinking about that then about your experience of menopause and those symptoms you talked a little bit before about um how it impacted you at work so that particular story where you just literally couldn't recall that situation of ordering that racking and with your work with individuals and organizations what are some of the most common ways that menopause kind of manifests itself in the workplace in terms of its impact on working women yeah so I I think again this is a really broad answer there are so many variables here but I think for a lot of women, the biggest issue is around brain fog and a sense of a lack of um, lack of being able to do what they've always done as well as they've been able to do it in the past. And that leads to low confidence, low self-esteem, perhaps not putting themselves forward for promotions or for projects, not speaking up in meetings in the way they might have done, um, taking a, a, a more of a backseat role in their own career. Um, I think a lot of times women find that their 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 sleep is is so disturbed that they're they're exhausted, so their stress levels are much higher, and and coping with situations that they maybe t- have taken in their stride in their earlier yeah. years suddenly yeah. become more difficult and more challenging, um, and and as brain fog is is also sort of challenging often things like memory and concentration they're having to work so much harder a lot of the time to do what they've always done. And again, it, it kind of comes back to that sort of drop in confidence and withdrawing from, from the workplace a little bit. Mm. We know that so many, many women find that they do what I did and leave work or they take lesser roles or they go part-time, uh, which isn't really helpful for anybody. It's not helpful for the individual in, in particular, not from a you know from a, uh, an emotional and psychological point of view, it's certainly not good for business mm. because they're losing a lot of valuable skills, experience, and talent. Mm. So I'm not sure if I've deviated off the question, uh, Susie. That's my menopausal no. brain failing. To <laughs> no, not at all. I think you answered it really well. <laughs> yeah, me too. That was very good. That was very good. <laughs> and so, you know, I know that many businesses and organizations now are starting to appreciate that menopause is an important stage of a woman's life and are putting more supportive initiatives into place to help working women you know remain there in the workplace Mm. and feel supported and empowered and confident that they can still do their roles and but having some adjustments you know there in place to to support um uh, but I also know that there's a reality there that not that not all businesses and organizations are equally there yet Mm. either and there's a lot of conversation especially in um like mainstream media at the moment about um 
you know, what some of those support initiatives could look like. And I know there's been a debate recently in Parliament as well around um, some of those initiatives. So what can like businesses or organisations do to be more supportive and help retain um, women in their workforce? So I think first and foremost, they just need to accept that this is a reality and it's going to impact their business, whether they think it will or not, whether they think it's unimportant or not, it will impact their business. So I think that 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 awareness for businesses, first and foremost, but on a practical level, you know, just making making it obvious to people within the organization that they understand that menopause has an impact. And that could be having a page on an internet site with resources that people can go to to find out more about menopause. So they've got some kind of education uh, and knowledge um, hub, maybe. Um, Having a policy, it doesn't need to be a formal policy at the moment. There's no legal requirement to have a dedicated policy. But what a policy does do, or at least guidance documents do, is show everybody within the organisation that as an organisation, they they value uh, the, those those people that are going through menopause. And I say people rather than women because it's not just cis women who uh, experience menopause. You know, if, any, if somebody's menstruated at any time in their life, regardless of how they identify now, yeah. so it needs you know businesses need to recognise that this is a broad diversity and inclusion topic. It's not just about women's problems. Um, so policy and guidance can really help. Um, it's not mandatory, but it may well be in the next year or so. Um, as you mentioned, Susie, there's you know there's conversations being had in high places mm. about whether menopause should be a, a protected characteristic, for example, um, and whether a, a mandatory menopause policy should be in place. I think a policy is great. I think it gives the right message, um, but I think. Other things at practical level, obviously, as a trainer, I'm massively uh, in favor of awareness training. But actually, I think a policy on its own doesn't change behaviors and attitudes. Um, Training and awareness really does start to get the conversation going, break down some of the stigma, break down some of the taboo. My main objective when I go into an organization to deliver training is just to start a conversation more than anything it's to and I almost open the door to allow people to open up about what it is they're experiencing because the, the, I think probably one of the biggest things an organization to do can do is try to create an environment where people feel safe to talk about their menopause without fear of ridicule without fear of being in any way disadvantaged um, so that you know, when you think about it, you've got a lot of women, especially in, in fairly senior roles, who have probably clawed their way up their career ladder. It's Whether we like it or not, it's still more difficult for women in the workplace to get to those senior levels. So it's going to take a lot of trust and a lot of psychological safety to feel brave enough to open up about what they're going through and risk losing what they've worked so hard for. So I think if, if businesses can really make it clear that it's a they recognize that this is a temporary transition and make it clear that they will support somebody going through their transition so they're not having to bury it and and kind of work through it very simple very very simple adjustments can make a huge huge difference mm. thing you know so <laughs> obviously again looking from a business point of view having good access to occupational health, having um, potentially referrals to an employee assistance program that maybe has a counselling service. We know that cognitive behavioural therapy can help with symptoms. Mm. Um, Allowing flexible working. COVID has actually done some uh, some real good in terms of work from home and, and flexible working. That does come with some other issues. People can often feel quite isolated working from home and, and lose that kind of uh, that connection with their, their workplace. But we do know that that flexibility can really help. Another simple workplace adjustments, giving managers the autonomy to be able to look at what sort of creative workplace adjustments would help will also, you know, it's all very well having a policy, but if you don't empower your managers to be able to put um, provision in place on an individual sort of case by case basis, then their hands are tied. 
So uh, very simple measures really that organisations can take, but I think it has to start with uh, an acknowledgement that this is a, a real, you know, a real issue that they need to be aware of. Mm. I, I don't like to say an issue because issue makes it seem like a problem. Well, actually, I don't think menopausal women in the workplace are a problem. They're just potentially needing a little bit of additional support mm. for a, a period of time to, to kind of get them through it. And I think actually, even just talking about it raises the subject to women who may not even be aware of it in the fact that they're not aware that it is going to happen to them. Because as you said, it's a natural biological occurrence that will happen to anyone who's menstruated. So there's many of us in that category and it's not something we're going to be able to stop. It's it's going to happen because our bodies will do it when it wants to. And I think actually of those 900,000 women who've been quoted as leaving the workplace because of the menopause, how many of them left without realising that's why they were going? Do, do, you, do you know Me? what I mean? Yeah, well, quite. Yeah. You know, I, like- I don't think I put the so joined the dots fully until mm. after I'd left. Yeah. Because for yeah. me as well, Lisa, I had, as many, many, many women do, lots of other factors that that were contributing to the, the stress bucket, if you like, at that time. My husband was coming out of the Air Force after 38 years. So we, his career was like, are we going, you know, is he going to get another job at age 55? Are we going to be able to pay the mortgage? Or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. We had caring responsibilities for my sister-in-law who was disabled. Um, I didn't have elderly parents, but my father-in-law was, um, he was dying of cancer at the time. So like many women there are, and and men as well, to be fair, in that sort of middle-life age bracket, there were a number of different factors going on that I I don't think at the time I put all the dots together to realise that it was menopause. And it probably wasn't just menopause, but that was another stress Mm. in the bucket that just, you know, everything kind of overflowed. Mm. Um, So I think the recognition by organisations that that you know, that that normal expected age range for, for women going through menopause, and I say that because actually it can happen at any age mm. from puberty onwards, Yeah. Uh, but the majority of women going through menopause are probably somewhere between 40 and 55, and it's a time when lots of other stresses are going on. Children are leaving home. Children aren't leaving home when you want them to. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's lots of financial pressures when mm. you've got older children. So, yeah. You know, I think it's that recognition that if you want to keep good talent in the workplace, you've got to kind of take the highs and support through the lows as well. Yeah. Mm, you can't yeah. you can't just abandon people when they just need that little bit of help. Yeah. And be real. You know, it's part of um, an individual, part of their life cycle. And you said there's other, you know, as you rightly say, there's other pressures and other bits of going on. That's life, isn't it? And we bring our we'd like to think that we bring our true selves, life and everything to work with us that makes us who we are and you know the authentic people that hopefully we turn up to be so I think touching upon that individual kind of perspective there so if we have a listener now who's listening to this and thinking I think this is me I'm starting to kind of have perhaps more clear or identifying clearer symptoms that I'm experiencing menopause I'm struggling a little bit at work because some of my symptoms are making it harder for me to do my job and I can start to starting to feel a bit less confident about what I'm doing. What would you say to them to kind of do as a good kind of next step in terms of them perhaps in kind of taking ownership now and thinking about how they can move things forward at work? I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Susie, take ownership. Okay. I think, first of all, we, we need to, I, I think there's a big thing here about not feeling that menopause is any way related to age and getting old. Um, I think we need to acknowledge that, you know, many women in their 30s and 40s are starting to feel this. So it's not an age thing. So don't fight it. But taking ownership for me is about doing your research, finding out for yourself what is what it's all about. There are some excellent resources out there. You know, you mentioned Dr. Louise Newson earlier. She's got an app called The Balance app. Her website, The Balance Menopause, is absolutely packed full of really good evidence-based information. Uh, the British Menopause Society has a website which is packed full of evidence-based information. So I think first and foremost, do your research and get help. You know, I 
probably was one of those women who fought against HRT for a long time, feeling it was, you know, I'll get through this, like the Stoics we are, Lisa. <laughs> I'll get through this. I don't need medication. But actually, all it's doing is replacing a hormone that you're becoming deficient in. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, for me, it would be take take ownership, do some research, and then have the courage to speak up about it. I speak to so many women who, but when they finally kind of plucked up the courage to go and speak to their boss about this, I found them really, really open and supportive. It may happen that there are few that won't. I would argue that if your if your boss is that sort of unsupportive, maybe you're in the wrong career. Maybe it is time to have a move. Who knows? But certainly taking ownership, doing your research, good quality research. Speak to a GP if you need that help. Um, it doesn't have to be forever. It can be a short-term fix to get you through this sort of um, bumpy road um, and, and find the courage to actually speak up about it. That is obviously much easier to do if the organisation is already ahead of the game and opened up the conversation. Um, if you know that your boss has been trained and is aware of menopause, that makes life easier. But at the end of the day, we do have the law on our side. You know, menopause isn't a protected characteristic in its own right. But the Equality Act does protect women under age sex and uh, disability discrimination. So I'd say don't be scared to ask for help, but ask for what you want. You know, do your research and be clear about what you what the outcome is that you want. And mm. I would say that's the same if you go to your GP, do mm. your research, know what the outcome is that you want. But it is about ownership. You, you answered your own question, Susie, definitely. Oh. <laughs> okay. And am I right in assuming that those kind of things that you can do there as well are applicable if you either work in a smaller business, so perhaps you work for somebody who owns a business and you work with them in a, in a much smaller team, or if you manage a team or a, a, a group of people who work for you and you are a small business owner, those principles still apply? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. So um, I know one of your mantras in your work is about making menopause mainstream. Yes. And I'm sure we've kind of touched upon some of the elements of that in our conversations so far. But is there anything within that kind of mantra, which I love, by the way, um, that we haven't kind of yet explored that you would like to kind of explain to our to our listeners? So I, th I think, you know, it's just really the, the, the reason I, I use the make menopause mainstream, apart from the fact that it's rather nice alliteration, is, you know, this is this is not something we should be ashamed or embarrassed. By. Yeah. Uh, in the same way, periods and menstruation and all of those other sort of female life cycle things that go on that, you know, we don't we don't bat an eyelid about people brushing their teeth. Brushing your teeth is a natural part of our life. Why do we why do we kind of brush all these um, sort of women's health issues under the carpet mm. and continue to make them a taboo? It, it's happened for centuries and centuries. I, I don't know if you've um, seen Kate. So Kate Muir was the uh, the producer and director of the Davina McCall documentary last year sex myths and the menopause and she's just launched a book called everything you need to know about menopause but we're too afraid to ask and oh my word it's the best book on menopause I've ever read I can okay. hands down say that uh, but she is so good at kind of poking around at why why are we continuing to 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 treat this this process in a woman's life as something to almost sort of be ashamed of and so I think that the whole make menopause mainstream is let's make it as mainstream. Let's take let's make taking HRT, for example, as mainstream as popping a paracetamol if you've got a headache. Mm. Let's let's make talking about menopause as mainstream as talking about the weather. It's just a natural occurrence. And it, I think there, there, I, I see so many women and I talk to so many women who are just terrified of admitting that they are potentially in menopause because they see it as some sort of failing. And that breaks my heart because mm. actually, um, if I can get a little bit um, idealistic for a moment, my, you, you know, that, that whole making menopause mainstream bit, I, I see this as a real 
opportunity to to become something new and different. So I, I, I use the analogy of the caterpillar going into a chrysalis and the chrysalis is it's a bit ugly and it hangs on the tree. It doesn't look very pretty. And it, there's an awful lot of change going on in that chrysalis. But what comes out of that is a butterfly. And actually what a butterfly can do that a caterpillar can't is it can fly. So far from being sort of tied to all yeah. of the things that we might be tied to in younger years, actually as we come through the menopause transition, we can spread our wings and do things that are empowering and fulfilling for us without some of the the kind of the the baggage is probably an awful word but some of the 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 constraints of our younger years so yeah I want to make it mainstream I want to make it something that we look forward to not that we dread yeah something more positive I love that analogy of the of the caterpillar and the butterfly my little boy's favorite book is the hungry caterpillar (laughs) which um that absolutely happens he goes in the cocoon and then off it comes a butterfly and off Mm -hmm. off he goes so on that sentiment then of um perhaps creating more um butterfly-like situations and experiences for individuals what are your top tips for helping both um working women or individuals uh, and also anyone who may be managing someone who is currently experiencing menopause to help them make things a little bit more comfortable at work yeah I think you know just think practically you know most most of the time, symptoms can be helped by very simple, practical measures. You know, a desk fan, uh, a few more breaks so you can go to the toilet when you're desperate without having to kind of feel guilty about it. Maybe, you know, not being sat. Nobody likes being sat in a three hour long meeting. So, you know, just think about let's break this up a little bit. So if somebody is struggling, they can go and get a break. I call it decompressing. They can go and, you know, have a break. So there's very simple measures that you can take in the workplace. I think I, I use, um, when, I'm, when I'm talking to managers, a lot of the, the fears that I have from managers, especially male managers is, you know, how do I talk about menopause without offending anybody? What, what if I say the wrong thing? Yeah. My thoughts are, you know, if you come at it from, I, I call it three C's. I have learned, I have to have these little um, acronyms and things, otherwise my brain doesn't function. Have the conversation. So the first C is communicate. Have that conversation. Don't be frightened to have it. And don't be worried about saying the wrong thing. Saying nothing is worse. Mm. Um, the second C is about curiosity. Just get curious. Don't try and have all the answers. Don't feel like as a manager you have to have all of the answers or be an expert ask questions, listen, get curious about what somebody's going through and come at it from a place of compassion. Um, And I think if you're coming at it from a place of compassion, your likelihood of saying the wrong thing is is reduced, you know. And even if you do, hopefully the person receiving it will realise that maybe you've said something that isn't the right terminology or you know isn't isn't exactly right but at least it's coming from a place of compassion so don't be frightened to have the conversation come at it with curiosity and come at it with compassion and I don't think you can go far wrong brilliant that's some great top tips thanks for that Bev and so just to kind of conclude our conversation today um we when we have a a guest on we reach out to our listeners to ask them if they've got a question that they would like us to ask our guest and we have one for you today which Lisa's got so she's gonna uh take you through that now okay so yeah so Bev we've got a question that's come in from a listener of ours called Jackie and her question is Very suddenly, I can experience the onset of extreme anxiety, feeling sad for no particular reason or tiredness. Is there anything I can do to help prevent or manage this better? There's a lot you can do, really. And obviously, I don't know um, Jackie's circumstances Mm. Um, at a very basic level. HRT will help. You know, I don't want to be too blunt about that, but HRT will help. There could be other things going on that are more than just hormonal changes, as we've spoken about earlier. You know, other other life events can make a difference. We do know that cognitive behavioural therapy can really help with anxiety um, and also physical symptoms as well. Um, Cognitive behavioural therapy, as I'm sure you know, is a a talking therapy based around sort of looking at your your thoughts, your feelings and the actions, that, that, that sort of loop. Um, a lot of times the anxiety comes from 
the thoughts and feelings that we we have and, and kind of driving fear almost into that as well. So CBT can really help. Um, managing stress and getting a, a good night's sleep, eating well. It, we're, we're very holistic beings, so it can all kind of fit in. Certainly getting enough, a, a broad balanced diet, sometimes managing your caffeine and alcohol intake, both of which can upset your sleep patterns and can lead to anxiety. There, there are so many things you can do. Um, if it were me, what would my first thing be? If I wasn't on HRT, I'd go and get it. Because actually we do know that it's a great, it's a great leveler because often that anxiety is due to increased um, sort of cortisol release and, and increased stress levels as a result of lowering estrogen. So balancing the estrogen can often balance everything else. Uh, but it's a good starting point. There are lots and lots of ways that she can potentially manage it. But without knowing more about what's causing the anxiety, it's hard to know which way to go. CBT, very, very helpful. Okay, that's great. That's Thanks, brilliant. Bev. Thanks, Bev. So um, we, yeah, I've come to the end of our conversation today. Yeah. We've had an amazing time talking to you. I've learned so much actually um, in this conversation today. And I know you've mentioned lots of different resources, great books. You've got a book as well. And so what we'll do for any of our listeners who want to um, find some of those resources, we'll put them in our show notes. Um, so the show notes for anyone who's listening are available on um, the Apple podcast app. They're part of this, the episode you just click on the episode and they'll appear uh, and then you'll be able to, able to link through into some of those resources and books that um, Bev talked about during our conversation today but a really important subject that um, we absolutely wanted to bring attention to and discuss on the coaching cast and it's been an absolute joy to talk to you thank you so much it's been brilliant I've really really enjoyed it it's been my pleasure thank you so much for inviting me along yeah thank, thank you, you Bev so much thank you for sharing your your personal experience so so honestly and humbly and for sharing all the uh support that you 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 know is available it's so helpful so thank you very much you take care We are coming to the end of today's episode where we've been learning more about how to manage the menopause at work with our guest, Bev Thurgood. Our tips and recommendations that have been collated with Bev are as follows. And I've split these out because Bev actually shared with us um, some really great tips, both for an individual in respect of an individual who may be going through the menopause or thinks they're going through the menopause and also a manager. So if you are someone who is managing people at work and seeking to understand more about the menopause and how to better support any individual who you believe is going through it, we've got some tips from Bev for that too. So if we start with the individual then, I think the one big thing that Bev was really keen to put across was doing your own research. So ultimately it's your body, it's your system, Take ownership of yourself and do your research. There are lots of great resources that Bev shared with us, which I haven't written on the top tips um, little whiteboard today because it's just not big enough. But we are going to list them all in the show notes from today's episode. So you will be able to read those show notes wherever you look and watch your listen listen watch your, your podcast episodes that will be there in the show notes. But there are some great stuff in there. Uh, including books as well as websites. So well worth doing your research. Talk to your GP. So Bev did explain HRT may not be the solution for everybody, but it's a bloody great start. It's well worth looking into and it's a, a really great way to balance yourself out. It does replace those hormones that you're losing. So please, please talk to your GP and get their advice. And the third thing is, if you are very much still in work, if you work for an employer, talk to your manager so really talk to them about what you're going through and think about what do you want from that conversation. So be clear about what you're asking for in terms of the changes that you're wanting to potentially make to ensure that you can work more effectively. So if you are a manager and wanting to understand how you can better support anyone going through the menopause, the first thing is really think about practical ideas that you can come up with together. I would stress the together because it's important to ensure that the uh, solutions are the right thing for the person and only asking them is going to find that out. But actually 
Bev said, look, sometimes the simple practical things can be the best. So a desk fan, for example, in implementing more frequent breaks for the individual. Um, so there are some really simple, simple practical things you can do. And then secondly, Bev talked about her three C's. So they are communicate, you know, talk to the individual, don't be scared. The most common issue she says that she finds is that people are too worried about talking about this in respect of embarrassing people. But ultimately, it's much worse to not talk about it. So the first thing is communicate, talk about it, don't be frightened. Second is be curious. Me and Suze use this often through everything that we do. Be curious. So ask questions, listen. And the third thing is be compassionate. So ultimately, this is something biological. It's not within our control. So the individual will be going through this, whether they like it or not. So be compassionate around that and show your support through, you know, empathizing, showing that you care for them. So don't worry about remembering all of the top tips now. They will be on our Instagram page this week. So all you'll need to do is visit at the coaching cast to find them. In addition to those top tips, we've also got a little exercise for you to try if this particular topic, the menopause, feels relevant to you. So the first thing is break down the things that are going on for you right now in work and at home. So as Bev explained, if you're going through the menopause, actually that may not be the only stressor on your system. You may have lots of other stresses going on outside you because life happens. And so it's important to be clear about what are all those things so that you can break them down and manage them more effectively. So next step is to rate each one of those things on a scale of one to five, one being low and five being high in terms of which is causing you the most stress, anxiety, or is a potential challenge for you. So then finally, once you've done that, what action can you take to improve that which is causing you the most high amount of stress? So really think about who can help you and think of individuals in both your work at home and external. And if that ultimately comes down to the way you're feeling, potentially some of those menopausal symptoms, then actually going to your GP could be the right solution. So really think about that, but break it all down so you've got clarity. We hope you enjoyed today's episode with our chat with Bev and have some new ideas to take away and try for yourselves. If you have any questions, thoughts or feedback, we honestly love hearing from you. So please keep it com coming. You can contact us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk, on Instagram at thecoachingcast or even on our brand new website, thecoachingcast.co.uk, where you can also sign up for updates and exclusive content. Your support means everything. Therefore, if you like what you've heard today and would like to help us grow this podcast and keep doing it, please do us a favor and follow us on Instagram. Leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. It really is the only way for podcasters to be seen. And subscribe to future episodes wherever you listen. So you can subscribe on any of the podcast platforms. You can also subscribe on our YouTube channel as well. That will give you the first notifications of new episodes coming through. And as we said, YouTube, you can watch us there. You can access that directly on YouTube or you can access it via the website where all of our episodes are saved. In next week's episode, we're discussing the topic of believing in yourself at work and why that is your superpower. <laughs> if anyone is listening to us, Lisa's just doing a little superhero uh, impression there. <laughs> Where's my cape? <laughs> we both love music and use it to motivate and energize us so we like to finish each episode with our personal song recommendation giving you positivity and energy as you launch into your next meeting it's my choice this week and i've chosen dry bones by gregory porter thank you so much for listening have a great week and remember you've got this 